Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back to an adventure in history. We are well into summer. I love talking about reading, and so we're going to talk about summer reading today. Well, you just gave it away. Well, I I just, I can't, I can't bury the lead. It's not in me, Mac. I'm excited because we have the executive director of the Astoria Public Library here with us this evening. Thank you. Welcome. And you are the official now, not interim. I am the official library director. Interim is really tricky to spell. It is. And type. And I'm very glad to not do that anymore. <laughs> and you were interim. It wasn't like some other title. No, it was it interim was... library director. And then as of April 1st, I am the library director. Excellent. Well, we're very excited to uh, have you here and excited that, that you have that gig. And if you Thank don't you. recognize or know already, this is Suzanne Harold, who has always been the executive director in my children's eyes. Ooh, right. I like I it. I mean, you've always been like yeah. the boss at the Astoria Public That's true. Library, right? The boss. I like that. The boss. Is that I what your kids say? She's they the do. boss. Yes. <laughs> they, they identify with the word boss, which I don't negate either because especially with women, right? Right. So, yes. And not in the context of you're not the boss of me. Correct. Because that would be me. But not in the context <laughs> of... Like, that's the boss. That's oh, cool. Right. No, yeah, that's, exactly. Oh, well, that is how they yeah. use it. Okay, not yeah. like, oh, she's the boss. No, they, I mean, yeah, a position of power and, okay. and you know, something to honor and respect. They okay. like it. All right. Well, since this is going to be a full show, because we've got lots of things to talk yes. about, really fast, we do have one more Thursday night talk, TNT, at uh, Fort George Brewery, the Lovell Showroom. We added one. That's okay. a special one. Usually, we would be done in May. So, this is like an added bonus. Nice. It's, it's like the Marvel movies where you watch through the, the credits and then there's something special. So this is something special. We're going to be talking about the history of uh, uh, the history and the ecology of Oregon's beaches. Oh, that's interesting. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Who's so. the speaker? Oh, oh, that's the big... See, that's a big the, mystery. Okay, that's the big tease. <laughs> I just got to look. Can't spill the beans yet, folks. And, and I'm giving her the look because I, I didn't write it down nope. and I feel embarrassed. And I said, oh my goodness, I didn't write it down. And then right off, you asked the first question I said we can't talk about. You had such a big plug. I just was waiting for that. Yeah. Okay. We need to restart the big show here. Sorry. We've already had our blooper for the day. <laughs> move on, move on. All right. So let's get to the big history highlights. These are uh, icebreakers, things to talk about, uh, things that happen tomorrow, June 12th, 1665. Okay. New Amsterdam legally becomes an English colony and renamed New York after the English Duke of York. Okay. I wonder if you like York peppermint patties. <laughs> I wonder if he sang the Grand Old Duke of York every week. Oh, my goodness. Oh, now Ooh. see, everybody who ever went camping as a kid is now singing that in their heads. Yes, and everyone who's been to one of my story times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, have you ever heard the Star Trek version of that? I have not. It shows how old I am. It's the, uh, the Grand Old Captain Kirk. Hmm. He had 400 men. He beamed them up to Scotty and beamed <laughs> them back again. Um, and when you're in between, you're nowhere to be found because, you know, you're like a bunch of atoms or something. I don't and quite that know. might make an appearance next day I don't, in I don't, a couple weeks at story time. I, I don't quite know how it happens, but somehow. Uh, 1792, a subject that uh, we talked about not too long ago, Captain George Vancouver mm-hmm. yeah. discovers the, uh, and I'm putting discover in, quotation marks, of yeah. course, mm-hmm. discovers the site of Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay. I wonder if it was on the map as Vancouver when he showed up. 
I always find it funny when people name something after themselves. I don't. I think that it says a lot about the patriarchy of... Yes, it does. Yes, our country. Although I'm both proud and ashamed that there is the uh, Mac Burns policy at uh, Wichita State University where I got my graduate degree. Oh. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> you create... Because of you, a policy yes, was created. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's that... subtitled the Mac Burns policy. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, for at another least day. in my in my head, uh, 1845, George Abernathy becomes the uh, first governor of Oregon co- country. Oh, okay. So, uh, well done, uh, Governor George. Yeah. 1859, the Comstoke Silver Lode in Nevada is discovered, the first major silver discovery in the U.S. And the whole reason, like Bonanza, the TV show exists. <laughs> right. Because there's like a big silver. Oh, anyway, yep. moving on. I'm old. Uh, 1898, Philippine uh, independence is declared. Oh, great the job. Uh, Filipino revolutionary forces under uh, General, General, I shouldn't even attempt to pronounce his name, Aquinaido, mm. uh, proclaimed the sovereignty and independence of the Philippine Islands from the colonial rule of Spain. Okay. Uh, 1924, George Herbert Walker Bush is born. 1924. How do, how do we feel about people with like five names? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. You're either okay. a serial killer or <laughs> or destined to become the pre- president. All right. Um, when my son was really little and, and, and cute and like would walk into stores downtown and get free stuff because he was little and cute, he'd always say his full name. Oh, funny. Which, which is just his middle name included. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does not have five names or anything like that. But he'd always Slacker. Say, yeah, yeah. He'd always say, hi, I'm Donovan Fort Burns. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's see. 1939, the Baseball Hall of Fame is dedicated in Cooperstown, New York. Okay. No, I'm a baseball fan, so that yeah. one's for me. 1954, Bill Haley and his Comets, not the Comets, his Comets, Bill right. Haley mm-hmm. and his Comets released the hit single, Rock Around the Clock. Oh, that's a fun one. Which we all know from Happy Days. <laughs> uh, 1963, civil rights leader Medgar Evers is assassinated. Boo hiss. 1987, President Reagan challenges Gorbachev to tear down this wall. I love that speech. That was a good one. And he ad-libbed that little part. He like hand-wrote it in at the last minute. So I I just have to go back one though, because Medgar Edwards, there's just a little bit more because when I saw that one, I just, I I didn't recognize the name. Did you, did you, did it pop out? Well, of course it did. Okay, it did. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, it didn't to me. So I always got the history pie in Trivial Pursuit. Come okay. On. Yes, of course. So he was an African-American civil rights leader, and he was shot to death by a white supremacist in his own driveway. Yep. Um, he, uh, during World War II, he volunteered for the U.S. Army, participated in the Normandy invasion, and then he joined the NAACP when he returned home. And he traveled around the South encouraging uh, African-Americans to register to vote and teaching them and recruiting them for the civil rights movement. So not just voting, but also becoming advocates and advocates for civil rights. So he did quite a bit. But one thing that he was very instrumental in doing was getting witnesses and evidence for the Emmett Till murder case, Mm -hmm. which brought a national attention to this plight that African-Americans were living with in the South. Um, and yet that's also brought quite a bit of attention to him and thus um, to his uh, murder. Uh, sadly, and not maybe not very shockingly, the person that did uh, kill him um, did not get um, convicted. It was an all-white jury. They went through two juries. The second jury was then deadlocked 
Um, it was later when that man was 73 years old. They brought the charges against him again, um, and he was sentenced to life and imprisonment where he died um, just a few years yeah, later. At age 73. I nice. know, yeah. Um, but, you know, here's a man that, that did quite a bit. He did quite a bit for our country and then came back and, and really advocated for it. And he, his focus was on people that were poor, mm-hmm. um, not just people of color, but um, truly teaching them to how to advocate for themselves. No justice. Yeah. Yep. So there's yep. my little extra. Excellent. Because uh, I did just gloss right over that. I, yeah, see, I always you did. assume like people like, oh yeah. I know you I always look, you give me a look, and sometimes I just you know roll my <laughs> eyes at you and you, you know, keep but going. See, see other people look at me like, like <laughs> science, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, for sports, <laughs> other than baseball. Other, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna jump in too and say cool. the library has a new award-winning <laughs> picture book, nonfiction called Choosing Brave, that is about Mamie Till's role in publicizing yes. her son's murder. And in her role in kicking off the, well, not kicking she, off, but. And was she part of more. the book? Did she write, was she part of writing the book? No. no. Just, okay. But it's her she, story. She's, she's so amazing. I mean, to, to be able to, I mean, what horrible thing happens to your yes. son. And then I want everybody to see this and mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. everyone's going to be seeing this casket and seeing not a closed casket. The, the power of that and the understanding what it would do. Yep. And that it needed to be done. But yeah, having to live with it. She's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. Yeah. And that means you can check it out at any library, Warrington, Seaside, or Astoria. True. That's right. Yeah. Okay, we're almost there. Okay. <laughs> we're almost there. Uh, 1994, Nicole Brown Simpson, Ron Goldman is murdered. Yep. Are murdered. Oh, yes. But our history highlight today, I think, I think, had the most impact and not at all connected to libraries on purpose. <laughs> But 1942, Anne Frank receives a diary yes. as her birthday gift. I did see that one. So the thing I think had the most impact is she never gets in a diary. Maybe right? she never writes it. Maybe it never gets hidden. Maybe it never gets published. Sure. And the power that that book has had um, for millions and millions of people. Right. The power so of words. The most important thing that I think happened on this day. Yeah. Don't burn those books. Books are important. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Although I do always feel there's some comedian I know that made this comment, but but it resonated. You know, it feels a little sad that we violated this girl's confidence. That she she wrote this diary as a personal right. thing. It's not meant to be read by millions and billions That's of people, true. and yet now we all have read her private thoughts. We have. It but seems it is a little like a violation. So genuinely sweet. Yes. I mean, and she is so young, so thankfully. And don't you just don't, wouldn't you just like to to meet her? Yes. I mean, well, of course. Her personality just comes through so much in that book that you're just kind of like, I like this person. I'd love to. Nope. As a kid, at least when I was reading it, I was like, I'd like to know her. Yes. So, yeah. Anyway, books. I know we so love why books. Are, why are books important? <laughs> let's let's go back further than that. So, Suzanne, <laughs> who are you? What brought you to Astoria? Why are you, why are you here? Yeah, thanks. Um, I was actually born here in uh, at the St. Mary's Hospital. I love it. Last Wonderful. year before it came down, um, we lived in Napa. For a couple of years, and then my parents made a dubious choice to move us down to Tillamook. Oh. So that's where I grew up. Um, went from there, college, settled in Portland, um, and we didn't anticipate ever leaving Portland. And then my husband's job moved, and he found a position here in Astoria. And um, we kind of, it was a quick decision to up and move here with the kids, but we have fallen in love with it and just felt embraced and enmeshed in the community and... Yeah, it's been good. So what age did you move to Tillamook? I was two and a half when we moved to Tillamook. Okay, so you don't really have strong memories of... I don't, except that here. my sister... Um, so I was the bonus 
surprise child. Um, <laughs> so when I was born, my sisters and brothers were 12 to 18. They were all at Hildalati in Napa High. And my sister married somebody, Brown's Mead boy, and became a dairy farmer there. Um, and they were there until I was about 10, and then they moved to Tillamook. So from 2 to 10, my mom would ship me up here for a good week or so whenever she could. Oh, fun. Did you have to, like, work the cows? No, but we'd go to the lager, and I'd get onion rings and a soft-serve ice cream cone, and it was the best. Things that you could still do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, how fun. That's a fun memory. Uh, it is. So was, what was it that took you guys to, uh, to Tillamook? Uh, my dad was a real estate appraiser, and he went down there to work with my Uncle Bill, who was also an appraiser. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And then Portland. And then Portland, yeah. With a mid-stop, I decided to check out the Midwest. I went to Grinnell College in Grinnell, Iowa. Yeah. Um, did a study abroad in Moscow, Russia, and then came back to, to Oregon. So, yeah. tell me, so Iowa, so no ocean. No ocean. Fireflies, snow, <laughs> oh, okay. and like real lightning storms with like the forked lightning like you see in picture books that I right. thought they were kind of just making up. And tornadoes, but you didn't see any. I didn't have to see any tornadoes, no. Um, yeah, it, so, was, it was good. It was fun. Did you, what was that like though? I mean, growing up in the Pacific Northwest and moving to Iowa, that seems so different. And then what led to that decision then to go to Russia? Well, the Russia actually started before. I went to Iowa partly because they had a really strong Russian program. And I wanted to study Russian partly because my grandmother, who was a firecracker of a woman, traveled a lot on her own in the 60s. And she went to Moscow at one point on a tour and um, told, came home with these like stories that would just like mesmerize you as, you're, as she'd tell them as we were going to bed. Um, and then the whole tear down the wall was at a pivotal point in my life and Gorbachev. And I became fascinated with the idea of like, how could we improve relations between our two countries? Um, Plus, it seemed really complicated and hard, and I was a little bit arrogant. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't want to do something simple and easy and fun. I want to do this. Um, so, But after I lived for six months in, in Russia, it was an amazing experience, and I learned a lot, but I wasn't ready to relocate my life there. So do you speak Russian? Nemnoga, um, not very much. Can you say best show ever? <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. Someday. Nothing like oh, putting well. her on the spot. Oh, Ooh, there we like go. That. Maybe. So maybe we can now. Somebody get... who actually speaks Russian might be like, no. We can, we can get the show into Russian now. Yeah. <laughs> so, what were your impressions being a woman, being young, naive, mm -hmm. obviously, you admitted? Um, what was that like uh, it, it, transplanting yourself there to... at a time that uh, was sort of transformative there? In Moscow? Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of gray, okay. like the concrete and yeah. the. And it was definitely a really rough time for people who lived in Russia who didn't have like a lot of money connections or mafia tie-ins. Mm -hmm. So there had been at that point, like all of the good things of communism had gone away, like knowing that you had vacation or being able to go like down to the Crimea region to get some time away. So life was just hard, mm. all the time hard. I felt like, like I know it's an exaggeration, but I felt like I didn't eat any vitamins for five or six months. There wasn't a lot of fresh produce oh, or fruits, um, but the people that I, friends that I met were wonderful. Um, so yeah. were the the images that we we at least that I grew up with of long lines and you could get one loaf of bread. I mean, or, was that an accurate picture? Or it wasn't just... when I was there. Okay. I think it was before, but I was there in '95. Okay, and by then, um, yeah, you could find things, and there were started to be some more kind of Western style stores. Mm -hmm. But at one point, we as a group, we went down to. Um, Estonia, 
And we thought that we had just like entered like the modern world again. It was incredible. There was toilet paper in all of the public bathrooms, mm-hmm. um, be like beautiful patisserie windows and like the things that we were used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And then we overheard some other travelers from the United States complaining about how, um, how just backwards everything was. And we're like, oh my goodness. Like, funny. <laughs> you don't even know. No. <laughs> so, so backing up a second, why, why did Iowa have a, a big Russian program? I am I'm kind of like, good, really, yeah, why Iowa? It is a really good question, <laughs> and I'm not sure. Other than, um, so Grinnell has a long history. It had, I am going to forget his name, and that's embarrassing. You might know as the history wonk. So the person who came up with Roosevelt's, um, re- not Reconstruction, the to get us out of the Depression mm-hmm. and all of those plans, and his mm. name starts with an H. There's two H's, I think. Mm. Not Herbert Hoover. Herber, yeah, Herbert Hoover's before him. <laughs> it's not going to come to me okay. right now, but um, yeah, it has it has a lot of for a small college that's not okay. well known. It has a lot of okay. alumni, and now it has a right. ton of money. Oh, interesting! And so they can bring in all sorts I, of people. I was going to take a bad guess that maybe it had something to do with like the Russian wheat, the winter wheat, mm. and mm. you know, I, I kind of vaguely know there's some sure. connection, but that would have been like all over the Midwest, I would have thought, and upper Midwest, but And we were more soybeans and pigs and where I was at at Grinnell. <laughs> so so what direction in education did you go with your degree there? Um, I came back, I worked on a Senate campaign because I thought I wanted to get to DC and then from there maybe get back to Russia and do like translating work or business. It was very vague. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I thought that might be the, mm-hmm. the pathway. My candidate lost, um, so then I got a job in local government and thought, like, somehow it might vaguely tie into something I liked, and um, it was not a good fit. I was kind of a secretary. I was taking minutes. Um, it wasn't, I didn't enjoy it, but while I was doing that job, I started volunteering with SMART, Start Making a Reader Today, and I fell in love with working with kids and kids' books and literature, and from there, one of my best friends at work encouraged me to uh, look at a library career. That was the that was the path. That was the turning point. So, what did you do? What were those next steps to to go that way? I volunteer. Matt keeps pointing at the at the timer, no. but I don't remember what number we're going to, so no, it's we, not helpful. We, we still got ten minutes. I'm not pointing at it. I'm making sure it doesn't die. On oh, us. okay. I thought he was like, trying to indicate, like, look at this. And I'm like, I don't remember what the final number is, though. Um, library. Yes. So, I was living in Portland at the time. I started volunteering with Multnomah County Library System. I went to an Oregon Library Association conference to kind of see, like, are these people I enjoy being around? Do I find the topics they talk about at a conference interesting? Um, Completely fell in love with it. And um, at that point, so this is 2000, about the time that I had my epiphany, Hmm. online school was just becoming a thing, and Syracuse University had a really good, they still have an excellent online um, program, so that was what I enrolled in. It was kind of hybrid online, so you'd go back for what my friend dubbed library camp in the summer. Um, And it's fun because the woman who came up with library camp is now the president of the American Library Association, which is amazing because I'm like, like, we were just baby like wannabe librarians together in class for a couple of years. And now you're real librarians. And now we're real librarians. (laughs) And like, yeah, like she knows people and she's traveling the globe representing American libraries. So when you're in library school or library camp mm-hmm. and you're thinking about your future career, are you picturing, I'm going to be the director of a library, I'm going to be in charge of kids' literature, I'm going to be in charge of programming? I mean, is there specialties? Like in the museum world, we have curators, archivists, fabricators, 
and and I'm yes. I'm none of them. I'm I'm a, a jack of all trades. That has a little bit of knowledge in all of those. Um, yeah, the first class we took actually was an overview of all the different ways you could be a librarian, and I found that fascinating. I ended up sticking with public libraries, but I learned there are Nike has fabric librarians. Um, one of my fellow students lived in LA and worked for the Academy, uh, does the, the Oscars, and they have their own library specialized. We had an FBI agent in our program, which was especially interesting and helpful because 9-11 happened while we were in the middle of class. So oh. he was getting information feeds direct from DC and then sharing what he could with the rest of us in class. Um, there, yeah, there are sports librarians. Those are the ones that feed the facts to the people who are announcing the shows. And um, we actually have Heather Martin, who's here in Astoria, at one point interned with NPR as a sound recording librarian and pulled the snippets for their radio shows. And what did you think you wanted to do or what excited I you the most? I thought I wanted to be in a school and kind of combine that like working with kids and the, and the excellent schedule that you get of summers off. Um, and then from after graduation, my first job was a teen librarian. And then I became a youth librarian at Multnomah County and realized that actually that was about the time I had my kid. <coughs> so it helped that I was kind of like working with kids who were suddenly the same age as my own kids. And I have fallen in love with the toddlers. I love all the ages, but there's something about toddlers that are really fun to work with. They, and they all love you. I mean, right. I mean, they, I think we all have exactly the same attention span. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, true. There big you go. emotions that we're trying to like express appropriately. Mm. Um, yeah. But Perfect. you even offer a baby program. Yes. I mean, an infant program at Astoria Public Library, which is unique because that one isn't offered. Yeah. That was part of um, when I stepped in as interim director, I didn't want to let go of that one because it mm. isn't offered at Warrenton or Seaside. Mm -hmm. So, um, while it's not convenient to take your kid to another library for preschool story time, there are some more options. And I feel like that one is so critical for new parents and caregivers to connect with each other and for the babies and toddlers to see each other. Um, yeah, and a lot of fast friendships and even some co-ops schools and preschools have grown out of that program. Yeah. So that. if you have, you have a toddler day or, or infant day or young, young child day, and you only have one book that you can choose to to read with them. What book is that going to be? Mm. What age are we talking? Any of them. Yeah, any of them. Okay. Because it all just, like, there's always a perfect book for each perfect age. Um, if we're talking slightly older, like maybe four to seven, then mm -hmm. I would say Sleepy the Good Night Buddy, which is mm -hmm. about a completely creepy doll that's given to a boy because he won't go to bed. And the, the toy is supposed to help him sleep and actually keeps him awake because mm. it's as annoying as he is. Oh. <laughs> and what I especially love at the back is that it's dedicated to both of the um, author's children. And I forget the name, so I'll just use my own kids. For Eli and Jada, but especially for Eli. <laughs> and it just resonated with me as a mom because I had one child who was easy to put to bed and one child who was not. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have your tablet. And you can only take one physical book, and you are marooned on on desert island. What book are you taking with you? Oh. That you can and read not, over and over again, and not like a how-to guide, like okay. for survival guide. Not but like an entire strictly series. Strictly for your pleasure. Yeah. Right. Um, it might be the We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. Okay. Can I add it to my list now? <laughs> yeah, it's in the teen section. Okay. It's excellent on audio if you like listening to books. It's I really do. well read. Okay. 
Does and he does he read it? He does not. Oh. No, but he always has actors do it. Um, mm-hmm. And this one does an excellent Scottish accent for the the MacFeagles that they're they are sure that they have already died and they are in heaven because they get to spend their lives drinking and fighting and stealing things. <laughs> and so clearly this is heaven and they have already died. Clearly. <laughs> but I just want to know though, Scottish accent, that's one of the hardest accents for oh. at least me to understand. Oh, it's not too bad on the, well, I mean, I don't know that they ever say anything that you really have to be able to understand. Okay. They just call it a wee big hag a lot. Oh, funny. Yeah, I spent a summer camp working with a guy from Scotland, and we all called him Scotty, and none of us could understand a word he oh. said. The only thing I knew was he was trying to say my full name, Andre, and that's the only thing I could ever understand that he said. So recently we had a podcast or a show about banned books. I heard that one, yeah. Yes, and it really resonated with Mac and I because information is so key to what we do and what we appreciate. Um, so have you had any um, anyone approach you about banning books? Have you had any conversations uh, locally about that? Um, we have not had any formal challenges, no. That's at, great. At our library. Formal. Yes. Yeah, so um, there is not uncommon for someone to have a question about a book sure. or concerns about a book right. and usually a conversation yeah, which takes is... care of, of that. And sometimes there was, when I first moved in and I was still learning the collection, someone found a book and they said, is this really supposed to be in the kids section? And I read over and I was like, oh no, actually that's published for teens and it just got mislabeled and misshelved. Mm. Oh, perfect. So, so yeah, so there's those kinds of things too, but we have not had any, um, none of the book banning efforts that have been affecting the rest of the United States have hit our community. That's great. That is hear. reassuring. Yeah. Um, in that library community, um, what, what do you think it is then about where we live that, that prevents that or keeps that at bay? It might be... Um, that's an excellent question. I think the sense of community helps and that we know each other. So it's not, nobody's just a nameless power or face. You're not fighting the man. Like people know mm-hmm. that I'm the one who bought the book or, you know, that it was someone else on the library staff. And then I think too, like we're, there's a diversity of opinions and viewpoints in our community that's fairly unique. And I think that helps people from getting quite as strident one way or the other. Those are my guesses. Yeah. Yeah, just okay. So we've got about two minutes left. So there uh, there was a bond passed. Yes. So what's the future look like and what would you like it to look like? Well, the future is um, this summer in July. We will have dates to be determined, but a public process to get look at the priorities and how we want to use that space and we want to hear from the public and get their thoughts on it. And then um, we'll finalize the plans and hopefully by spring construction will begin. And what I'm looking for is just a welcoming space that is accessible and welcoming to everybody in the community that we know that this is our center for us to connect and to find information, get excited about things, go to new events. Um, We have, for example, the author of The Graveyard of the Pacific is gonna be here on June 29th doing an author reading. And we have music shows and puppet shows and all sorts of things happening this summer that are all on the website. So yeah, I want to continue that and grow that and and just have a space where everyone feels like they can come and be. The summer reading program really is fun. And all three library systems are doing the same theme 
Yes. And you also have multiple dates to go to different events. Yes. And then we have multiple times too. So if like if the time that we have the Taiko drummers doesn't work for you, perhaps later in the day at Seaside will work. And then Napa School and Jewel School are open one day a week during part of the summer so that kids out in that area can also do the summer reading program. Oh, that's fabulous. And fun prizes. I mean, I, I... my eight-year-old's so competitive. She does it for the prizes. You know, it's books sure. primarily, but there's yeah. there's other fun things as well. There's the books primarily. There's also a chance to win a Lego set if you're a kinder Ooh. through fifth grade. There you go. A basket of books if you're younger. And for this month for the teens, it's $50 to Gizmos plus two movie tickets. Ooh. Ooh and they're going to have a drawing each month. Yeah. Excellent. So how do people find, what's the website? AstoriaLibrary.org. <laughs> All right. Well, and great. your hours? We're right? open 9 to 1 on Mondays, 9 to 5, Tuesday through Friday, and 9 to 1 on Saturday. Thank you, Suzanne. We're so appreciative of what you do, what you offer, and keep on reading, folks. It's good, good for the world. Go read a book. It doesn't have to be a history book. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.